0: This study that we've been doing talking about, you know, looking at the book of Numbers as kind of a map, a road map for how the people of God look as we navigate change, as we navigate difficult situations, as we navigate our own stupidity and the sin that we commit and the mistakes that we make. And so we felt like as we kind of leaned into the book of Numbers that it kind of gives a pretty good representation of that because in general we're, uh, we, we make a lot of dumb decisions as people. And the people of God, as we see in the book of Numbers, continue to make those decisions, continue to choose things that put them in situations that are difficult, choose to do things that put them in position to be under the discipline of God, which God absolutely does, as the book of Hebrews tells us, for those that he loves, that he brings discipline. And so when you're navigating, sometimes as people, we always want to attribute our difficult situations to the enemy, right? We always want to say, well, that's the devil doing that. That's the devil doing it. It's like, no, sometimes the Bible tells us we enter into difficult seasons because of dumb decisions and things that we've done and made and things that we've chosen to do. And so, but within the midst of that, here's the encouraging part. I know that doesn't sound so great. The encouraging part about that is as we're building up and navigating some of those very frail, very difficult times that the Lord still intervenes and he still works in the midst of it. That God continues to lead us down directions and paths that contribute to the building up. And that even in all our failure and sin, that God continues building up. And so that's what we see here in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. We kind of see a continuation of where we were last week in, in chapter 20. And listen, I know that we've talked about navigating this verse by verse, book by book. You know, we love to kind of preach and teach like that. And I know there's, I think there's 36 chapters in the book of Numbers. So we're not going to do chapter by chapter for the next, however, 36 weeks or whatever. But... You know, this was a kind of a, uh, an important time in this text. And I think it was just a very, very, very uh, popular story. If you've heard anything from the book of Numbers, you've heard this. But there's a couple of things that I want us to see here this morning. There's a couple of truths that I really want us to lean into this morning. For me, myself, as I'm navigating this, and for you as we read into this together, I pray that we can see this together, what's, uh, what, what's happening and how it can translate into our lives. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 that's going to be kind of the, the place where we really settle in at. Um, and then we'll kind of move into this together. But chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, it say this. When the Canaanite, when the, Canaanite the king of Arab, who lived in Negeb, heard that Israel was coming by the way of, 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 of Atherim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said... If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites. And they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was Hormah, which means destruction. Verse 4. It says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe with worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So that seems like a very odd story, but there's a, an extreme biblical significance to this story. And, and, you know, there's a couple of things. And, and where I really want to focus on this morning is, and as we kind of get into this, you'll see this. I want you to begin to see the progression of the people. That how, you know, out of this, is, this will be the eighth time in the eighth and final complaint that we'll see in the book of Numbers, which seems like a miracle for these people that continue to make mistakes. But hey. Where, where we can find ourselves in the same situation, right? This will be the eighth and final complaint moment listed in this journey, but it's different. There's something different that happens here in a, in a level of extreme significance and then a level of progression, a level of growth for the people that is very important, very vital, which is evidence of progress. You know, and so what we begin to see is we begin to see them navigating these spaces that are leading them down paths of righteousness rather than paths of selfishness. We're beginning to really start to see some progression and change. Now, does that mean that the people of Israel will not make mistakes from this moment on? Absolutely not. They're only at the cusp of the, 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 the bad decisions and the sinful rebellion that they'll step into. But like we said, the biblical story, much like our own stories, these ebbs and flows of bad decisions and rebellious, and rebellious motion. Does it take away from our responsibility of holiness? Absolutely not. But that's why God disciplines us. Remember that discipline is a purging that God does to rid us of those things that are drawing us away from holiness and drawing us into selfishness and rebellion. And so there's a couple of things that I want us to see here this morning as we look at progress, as we look at, think of kind of the word, we focus and focus in on this word this morning of progress, of growth, of building up, of development. And the first thing is this, that battles don't stop, but neither does he. The battles don't stop and neither does he. Uh, in Numbers chapter 1 through 3, we see another battle. And listen, they're entering into the first battle that they've had since their previous battle, which lay, they, they lost Poor they lost. They, they, they were defeated. They, they were left discouraged. And they have not had many victories up to this point. I mean, right before this last week, we're reading about the death of Miriam. Uh, we're we're leading up, reading about their continued rebellion uh, as, as Moses rebels, as Edom, when they're trying to uh, travel through the, the land of Edom, the, the Edomites refuse them passage, so they have to take the long way around. Their journey is long and they're hard. They're discouraged. They're, there's just all these things going on in their life. And then we see in the Moment, we see in this moment when the enemy comes, the enemy fights. It says that he fought against Israel and he took some of them captive. Can you, can you just see? And I, I don't know about you, but I, I navigate these spaces in my life where it feels like everything that could go wrong just continues to stack up. Right. And it continues to be this heavy burden that we enter into spaces with and we enter into life with. We enter into our journeys with. And, and I just I, I'm trying to empathize with the people, even though they make bad decisions very often. Right before this Aaron, who is one of their leaders, has died. So there's just so much going on, so much piling on them at this moment. Like we said, a lot of this being because of their own faults, because of their own discipline that they're entering into. But even separate from that. Like, cause we, we're all about justice, right? We're all about people get what they deserve. Absolutely. But we have to also understand that for us as individuals, you know, we don't feel or say that those same things sometimes when they apply to us, even though we know that that's true. And so let's not always apply that on the other end. Like let's show some patience, right? Let's, let's understand like there are human beings making very poor decisions because they're very selfish as we tend to be very often. And so the last fight they had ended in defeat in Numbers chapter 14. We read that there. And another enemy comes to hinder their progress and movement towards the promises of God. You know, and and also remembering that the battles were a result of the way they chose before. And so this is something we have to understand in our lives is that sometimes present battles are a result of past decisions. And we've kind of talked about that a little bit. Some of our present battles are oftentimes results of past decisions. And so we're just navigating some of the ripple effect of of what they're doing is they're navigating the ripple effect of their sin. And so for us, a lot of times, the life we walk and the life we step into is us navigating the ripple effect of some of our sin. Maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's an addiction, whatever it might be, a lot of times it's ripple effects of past decisions that are creating present battles. But we see a difference here in the people, which is encouraging. And it should give us a little hope as we navigate our own journeys through the wilderness is... They say in verse, in verse 2, it says in Israel vowed a vow. Now this is very important for the people. They vowed a vow to the Lord and they said this, As if you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. So basically like we will do everything that you've called us to do because God had already said you're going to go into that place, you're going to overtake that place, and so they're basically just reiterating something that God had already told them to do, and so they're kind of reestablishing their relationship and their direction with God in this moment, but it's very significant because they're not testing God, and this is what we have to understand, is that a lot of of times we look at things like this and when we read the Bible, we'll go, well, they're testing God. Like, no, they're not testing God. They're stepping into promises pre-established by God. They're just acknowledging them. And this is where we miss out sometimes on stepping into the promises God has for us because of our distraction, because of our discouragement, because they haven't always responded like this. Remember some of the previous issues, whether it was issues with water, whether it was issues with food, or whether it was issues, uh, you know, with the, the, the land, the people within the land that the, uh, of Canaan that they were looking to go into when the 12 spies came back. You know, they didn't respond like this. What did they do? They complained, and their complaint led to discipline, and that's as far as it went, right? But we see a difference. When all of these things begin to... Mount up against him. What do they say? We vow a vow to God. We're agreeing with the promise pre-established by God. We have to understand this about a vow, that a vow to God is a voluntary commitment to do something that pleases him or to abstain from certain practices to demonstrate devotion to him. So they're leaning in, heavier in this moment than they have leading up to this. They're leaning in to who God is and what God does and what's a beautiful thing and what does God do? It says right after this that he helps and they gave over the Canaanites he provides. God is present in the battles. God is present in the mess. They make. They continue to make mistakes They continue to, to be stupid and to make bad decisions and to be rebellious and God continues to pour into his people's lives not to excuse their issues because he disciplines them and they experience the ripple effect of their sins. Uh, they should have entered straight into the promised land but they didn't. They spent 40 years wandering and so they're experiencing the ripple of their sin, but in the midst of that, God's still providing them the tools and the equipment for victory, if not himself giving victory. God is present in those dark, deep spaces. Psalm 23:4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, and death can go a lot of ways. We can think of death as a physical death. We can think of death as a spiritual death. We can also, a lot of times, the word death is used as separation. And so there's a sense of isolation that comes with death. So you could almost say it as a walk through the, 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 through the valley of the shadow of isolation. But I will fear no evil. For what? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's tools Comfort us. It's a beautiful promise that we need to be reminded about as we navigate, like they're navigating right here, just trying to empathize with them a little bit. Like sometimes we read this as as very disconnected, as kind of a, a fantasy narrative, as people who never existed. But, man, these are real human beings navigating really difficult spaces. Granted, experiencing the ripple effect of their bad decisions. But we can empathize there. Like we can try to imagine, like, imagining the difficult the, the space that they're in. Their leaders are dying. A whole generation of people have died without seeing the promised land. They're experiencing enemy after enemy. This enemy overtakes them and takes people captive. And what do they do? They lean into where God is because they remember that it, as they walk through this valley of separation, of spiritual or physical death, that they will fear not the evil against them. God is with them in that. God has the tools to protect and provide. God had not given up on them, but even in their discipline, God continued to move them towards and provide them with victory. The difference difference being their vow here. Up to this point, in all their bad decisions and all this journey, they had not made a vow like this to God, where they were affirming the promises of God and stepping forward into what He had. Whether it's, like we said, like we defined it, a voluntary commitment or an abstinence of certain practices. And listen, sometimes maybe that's what we need in our life. To reestablish ourselves. Like imagine, think of where you are right now. Maybe you find yourself in a very discouraged place, a very distanced place from God. Maybe it's time we establish a vow with God. God, I'm either committing myself to do something and or I'm abstaining from something that's drastically distracting me from your promises for me. You know, that's why, you know, I mean, I grew up Catholic and navigating the Lent season. That's one thing even now in my life I can, I can greatly appreciate about what that season means. Abstaining from something and doing something for God. It's almost like reaffirming a vow between you and God. Stepping into his promises. God, I'm ridding myself of distraction and I'm pouring out more into who you are and what you are because you're worthy of it. Because you're worthy of it. And the second thing is this, church. Winning our greatest battle, to, as we navigate progression, our goal is winning our greatest battle to, to defeat our most vicious enemy. Winning our greatest battle to defeat our most vicious enemy. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I want us to see this story in Numbers chapter, four, uh, Numbers chapter 21 and read verses 4 through 5 because this is a significant, a significant moment in their history. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Remember, they couldn't, if, if you read, we didn't read it, but if you read it yourself, then they, the king of Edom would not let them pass through their, their land, so they had to go around. And the people became impatient on the way. So they entered into a very difficult space. Remember, the only reason they're navigating this is because of their bad decision and their rebellion. The ripple effect of our past decisions create present battles. So they're facing present battles that their past decisions have brought them to, and they're impatient. We're seeing that, that, that ebb and flow, that rhythm of humanity, the fallenness of humanity, the rhythm of humanity to choose the wrong way or to be selfish or to consider our own way. And so he says the people became impatient on the way, on this journey. Listen, the first thing that we have to be able to acknowledge, though, within ourselves is when we're navigating difficult spaces to acknowledge that those spaces are difficult. God has never called us to pretend like the road that we're running is Roses and, and cherries and you know, flowers and butterflies and whatever else. It's difficult. It's difficult. And a lot of times that difficulty isn't just because the enemy's facing against us. Sometimes it's because of our bad decisions. Or it's because of God using this moment to purge us and to prepare us for something better. And so as we navigate that, understanding that the way is going to be difficult. And so what do they do? What do they do? Like people do. When we get mad about our situation, number one, we blame God. Number two, we blame the people around us. The victimization. Well, it's not me, it's you. It's something you've done. It's something you've done wrong that has made me the way that I am. And that is the fallenness of humanity when immediately we begin to blame the people around us. And so that's what he begins to do, what the people begin to do here. After God has done everything they have, they still have the audacity to say to blame God and to blame Moses for where they are. Because that's just what we do. That is how fallen we are. And so he continues on. And he said, it says they spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. And listen, this, this is unfortunately as Christians, we're not separated from this either because a lot of times when things go bad... You know, maybe we don't, you know, we, we, we blame God sometimes, and then sometimes we blame the other church people around us. If I'm having a bad church experience, it's because of the church people. It's not because of me or my attitude or the way that I've entered in, right? I mean, I, I've had to check myself on that sometimes. Like, man, church just isn't doing it for me. And the, but then I have to think about, like, no, maybe I just came in here with a really poor attitude, right? I mean, like, we can affect... The way that God affects us. Do you understand that? Like we can be a hindrance. We can quench the spirit of God. The Bible tells us we can quench the spirit of God within us by robbing ourselves of that experience by how we enter into the spaces of life that God has given us. They continue to do it over and over and over again by complaining to God and missing what God was doing. And we continue to do the same thing. Sometimes we enter into spaces we quench the spirit of God and we miss out on what God is doing by navigating that space in such a way. And so they continue on. And like we said, seeing this reflection of the natural state of humanity, that when things get difficult, we complain against God and against, and, you know, and against the people around us. And then in verse 6, we see the continued rhythm. God's discipline. God's discipline. And like we said, God's discipline is used to purge. God's discipline is used to, to, to prepare us for something better. And so in verse 6, we read this. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the result of sinful behavior for God's people is righteous discipline. To purge us, to rid us of the toxic cancer that infects our spirit. Listen, and... The thing that we don't have the right to do, the thing that they didn't have the right to do, and we don't really see them, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit, the thing that we don't have the right to do in the midst of God's discipline is to be angry at God for it. We navigate moments of discipline because of past decisions that have brought us to present battles, and then we, we decide how we react to it and how we navigate the future steps that we take beyond these moments of discipline but if we can acknowledge what God is doing in the midst of it, then God will use those moments to grow us. It's up to us whether we choose to see it as a moment of growth or a moment of discouragement. But then we see. But then we see. And so this is for us. This is one of the, 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 the progressions that I want us to see in the people. And this is one of the progressions that I hope for us as people that we can get to. If we're not already there... And, and, and I think for a lot of us, we, we move ourselves away from these moments. But I pray that we can find, ourselves find, our, find these moments as vital for our life. In verse 7, we see the people's response. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. Now in all the, the stories that we've read in the book of Numbers so far, where the people complained or the people had an issue, how many times have we heard them confess they're wrong? Not one. This is the first time. And it's a beautiful moment. As, as much as the destruction around them is happening, the discouragement that they've navigated, the thing that we need to know about them and the thing we need to know about ourselves is if we can ever get to places of confession, we will begin to see progression. Like we will see change in our lives when we begin to confess where we've gone wrong, what we've done, how we've failed, how we've disappointed God, how we've hurt someone else. Confession is such a beautiful practice, and it is a vital element of Christian life. We have got to be a people of confession. You know, and, and, and confession goes hand in hand with repentance, and we've talked about repentance. You know, repentance is not a moment. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is this constant place within our heart and within our minds that we're saying, God, I'm not good enough for you but God you forgive me God you have provided for me Lord I-, I have sinned against you Lord please forgive me constantly knowing who our source of forgiveness is who our source of identity is going taking our repentance taking our issues going there for forgiveness understanding that we're in this state of constant need that's what repentance is repentance is a place of understanding our constant need of forgiveness and an act of turning from who we were and what we've done and begin to see progression and change in our lives and that's what we see within these people is seeing change. First off, when they comp- when they have faced a difficult issue, what do they do? What did we see in verse 21? They make a vow to God, stepping into the promises of God. Lord, we're going to do what you called us to do and live how you've called us to live if you'll help us in this situation. They had not done it up to this moment, so we're seeing growth. We're seeing building up. We're seeing promises fulfilled. And then continuing in this moment, they make another bad decision, ripple effect into discipline. And what happens? God sends a discipline for them. God sends this moment down where death and destruction continues to come because God is purging his people. And so how do they respond? Every other moment where we saw death or captivity or something like that before because of discipline, they didn't say anything. But what do we see here? They confess. We've sinned, God. We've made mistakes. We've chosen to be rebellious. We've chosen ourselves over you. We're selfish people. Help us. The greatest motto we can ever fo- follow within the Bible is a, is a spirit of confession. And that's not only confession to God, that's confession to each other. I love how they say it's a very communal thing. They say we have sinned. No one's excluded. We collectively. And as we're saying we collectively, as they're saying we collectively, they're looking around at everyone who's there. It's like, yep, we all have. There's no one that has stepped out from under the weight of what we've done wrong because we've all participated in it. They're saying we have sinned. We communally, not only individually, but communally, communally have to be able to say, and that's what we do here on Sunday mornings, really, is we're communally stepping in and acknowledging that we need forgiveness. You know, a lot of times we try to physically say it or we sing, try to sing songs about it, but, you know, we're coming here. Part of this, uh, part of our, our gathering here is about asking God to forgive us, being creating rhythms of confession in our lives to help us progress and move forward. Different from the other times here, they repent and acknowledge what they've done wrong and how it's affected them. And I read this quote this week. It says, we have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact of sin or to the guilt of a sin. Time will not fix it. Time will not change its effects. Time will not make us feel any less guilty or shameful for what we've done only thing that fixes that is the forgiveness of God. An open, true confession. Acknowledging this is what I've done wrong. This is where I've gone wrong. God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I read this this week too. That fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arm. And so repentance and that confession and forgiveness that we're asking for, it also comes with a surrender. It comes with a surrender. God, I'm tired of fighting against you because I know I'll never win. We have to understand in that surrender we gain victory. In that surrender we gain more than we could ever accomplish or gain on our own. In that surrender we begin to see God for who God is and what God can do rather than looking at our own strength and what we can do and how we can accomplish what we believe we desperately need. But it's surrender. And so then we see another moment that is different than all the other rebellious moments that have happened up to this moment. So not only do we see them establish a vow, stepping into the promises that God has for them, we see them confess and repent, God, we have sinned. Please help us. Please do something. Provide for us a way to avoid this discipline. In verse 8, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. You know, and this is when we begin to see, and if, if you've been around church long enough, you've heard this story. And it's an odd story. Snake bites, death, bronze statues on a pole. So what does it mean and why does it matter? Well, it matters significantly for us, and it mattered significantly for them. Because what we see here is we see a moment that represents both the sacrifice of Jesus and the faith of his people. The sacrifice of Jesus and the faith of his people. And why? Because this is a a story that Jesus references in John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. He says this in verse 15. He says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So their significant moment of repentance connects to our significant moment of repentance and of new life and of change. And so what, it, what happened here? In verse 8, you know, as the people say, take this away from us. God provides a way where he tells Moses, this is what you need to do. And the Lord said to Moses, when he see, uh, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole... So that everyone could see. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And so what he did is he built a bronze serpent, set it on this tall pole. And remember, this isn't just a few people. This is millions of people living in this time. So they build this. And so what we begin to see here is an act of mercy that we haven't seen previously even though God has shown mercy and provided for them over and over and over again, but it's different this time. God provided a way to be cured from the punishment, but there was a stipulation. You know, and, and, and I love this as, a, as I was reading this. He said, And the Lord told Moses to make the fiery serpent set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So, Number one, there was a stipulation, is they had to see it. They had to look where. They had to look, and it had to be high enough for their entire group to be able to see it. So it had to be high. They had to look up. They had to look up to see it. Because looking up would reveal what? Looking up would reveal belief. Because you wouldn't have looked up at the serpent unless you believed that what God said would happen would happen. And so when God said for them to be cured of the poison that would enter into their body from these serpents, to be cured from it, they would have to look up. And to look up would indicate belief. And to look up, to lift their eyes up, they would have to take their eyes off their own affliction, right? They would have to take their eyes off of the fear of what's happening around them. They would have to, t- to not be looking for a solution around them on the ground, but they would have to be looking up for a solution that was above them that they couldn't personally touch, that they couldn't personally reach, but looking in this direction that God called them to look, that if you want to be healed from the poison that's in your body, you're going to have to look up. You're going to have to stop looking around you for the solution because the solution is not there. All you're going to find is more death. All you're going to find is more hurt. All you're going to find is more of the enemy around you robbing you of the life that I want to give you. So what does he say? He says, look up. If you want to find life, look up. You want to find life, stop looking around your feet and look to the heavens. And church, it's the same thing for us. The thing is, for us, is that we're born out of the womb with the poison in our body, slowly killing us and decaying us slowly leading us down paths of selfishness, slowly leading us down paths of rebellion, just like these people, slowly leading us down paths that choose our own way, that make it about our own selves, that make us the center of our universe. We are born with this poison in our body. But God, through Jesus Christ, provided us a way. What does he say when he's talking to when he's talking to Nicodemus and he talks about this in John chapter three, verse 14, when Jesus is saying, he says, and Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life and whoever would look up, whoever would depend on not things that are around them for their rescue and their salvation, but the things above them for the rescue and salvation. Whoever believes in Him would have eternal life, which leads us into the verse that we all know so well in verse 16 of John 3. For God so loved the world that He did what? That He gave His Son. He gave a solution. He gave a bronze serpent to look to, to be saved from the poison that is in our body, to rescue us from the hurt that we were experiencing. That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That he should not perish, but have eternal life. God has provided us a cure. God has provided us a way. But what does it require? The stipulation requires belief. It requires us to take our eyes off of what's around us and to see what is above us, to see what is greater than us, to see what, by faith, understanding and believing... You know, because a lot of people within their mind, they may have been thinking, how is looking at this bronze statue going to do anything for me? And I believe people have the exact same thought process when it comes to God and his rescue and provision in our day to day life. How can an invisible being do anything to help me? How can they forgive me for sins either that I have committed or haven't committed yet? How can they save me when I don't even think I'm worth saving? You know, we go through these minds, these processes in our mind that the enemy puts before us. And God says that whoever would believe in him shall have eternal life. Church, Christ is our bronze serpent. And so then the question is this, that maybe we would ask. The cure was made into the image of the very thing that was causing them harm. Why? Why? Why was the statue, the bronze statue, made into the image of the very thing that was poisoning them? Because, church, it was pointing to, foreshadowing something far greater than this moment. Helping us know that Christ became the very disease that was condemning us to make a way for us. Christ became that disease. For us. Romans 8:3 says, "For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son on the likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. He got rid of, rid of the effects of sin on us by becoming sin himself." In 2 Corinthians 5:21, "For our sake he made him to be sin." To be sin. Jesus had not sinned. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth and sin. He literally became sin. He, became the, 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 he, he bore the punishment of sin. He carried everything that was meant for us. He became sin. Who knew no sin. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became our bronze serpent. That if we, like them, would look at Christ in faith, knowing that He could heal us, taking from us the very cancer, the very the the very cause of the cancerous spirit that lives within us, that has condemned us to eternal death. Christ said, "If you look to me, I've become it. I've I've, I'll take it. I will I will I will re I will, will, will repurpose you." I will redeem you from this death, from this poison that has infected you and, and, and inscribed on you a punishment of death. If you just look to me, if just, just look outside of yourself. Look outside of your circumstances. Look outside of your own provision. Look outside of your own doing. And this is the problem. This is the problem with with people. This is the problem with the unsaved world. This is the problem with the rebellious nature that we're built with. That we are convinced within ourselves that we don't need anything but ourselves. Right? That That is what is constantly fed into us. That is what we constantly want to grasp onto, especially as men. We hate to acknowledge that we need anything outside of ourselves to help us do anything in our lives. Because we're fixers. I want to do it myself. I want to have the the strength that I need. I have it. I can do it. I'm the provider. I'm the protector. I'm the the one that does it. When God looks at us and laughs and like, brother, you cannot do it. You cannot handle it. You cannot save yourself. Nor can you save your family. Except through me. People are much more likely to look look to themselves for answers, the fix to their problems rather than outside of themselves. And what we understand as Christians is that when we begin looking at Jesus, this would mean that there's only one place and one way to look. And even as Christians, sometimes we need to be reminded about that, that there's only one place to look. There's only one place that heals us from the punishment of the poisons that we've allowed into our lives so that we participate in or that just surround us. Every day, poisons surround us. It poisons our mind. It poisons our spirit. There are people in our lives that poison our spirit because of the, the way that they, 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 they act and the way that they treat us. There's, there's poisons in the things that we watch. There's poisons in the things that we read. There's poisons in the things that we, that we listen to. There's poisons within the spirit that we allow to cultivate within us spirits that that lead us away from the promises of God, there are poisons all around us, even as Christians. And God tells us to look up, to fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Psalm 91, 15 says, When He calls to me, I will answer Him. This is God talking. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him. I will honor Him. And then the last thing is this, and then we'll be done this morning. You know, remember there's millions of people within this place. Two reasons why people wouldn't have been delivered from this death by the serpents. They would have bit them. Two reasons. First one being this. For those, for some reason, they wouldn't look up by faith. They wouldn't look. Or the second thing with this would be those who didn't know a remedy was available. Some people would have only known because the person next to them said, Hey, listen, I just heard that if we look up at this bronze statue, that we'll be healed of the poison that's in our body. I mean, Moses is one man. He wasn't going around... With a megaphone, or sending out emails, telling everybody, "Hey, just FYI, once you're bit by that serpent, if you look up, you're gonna you're gonna find healing there. Like you're, it's gonna heal you, and you're gonna be fine." There's no easy way to communicate with that many people by one man. How important is us? Is it for us to get the good news out about the cure that we know about? If you as a Christian have been cured from the disease of the sin that you were born with and the poison that you brought into this world from the womb, someone needs to know about it. There are people in our lives that desperately need to know. There are people in our communities that desperately need to know that there's a place to look to be healed from the poison that's inevitably destroying you. There is a healing there. There is a promise there. There is goodness there. And if it is trustworthy and if it is good, we should make it known. And if it's not... Now, what's this all about? Why does any of this matter? If God isn't who God says He is if, G- God isn't, is, if Jesus hasn't done what God tells us that Jesus has done for us, then why bother? Why be here on Sunday mornings? Why get up early? Why give any time? Why give any money? Why give any effort? If God isn't God and Jesus didn't come and die for our sins and raise again to show us that there's new life beyond death, then what is any of this about? If there's not a cure to the hurt that we experience on earth, if there's not a purpose to if there's not a reason, what's it all about? But God promises us that there is. That there is a cure to all the hurt. That there is a healing. That there is a a promise in the midst of the poison that we've experienced and we continue to see and experience around us. But that fix is not here. That fix is not within whatever we can gather on this earth. The fix isn't in the remedies that we've been holding on to all our lives that we continue to store in the back of our minds, in the back of our hearts, in certain relationships, in certain substances, in certain mindsets, in certain attitudes that we go to and we cling to for comfort. We will never find the remedies that we need to save us from from nothing else, from experiencing hurt on on this earth as we navigate difficult situations. But also, and most importantly, the eternal death that comes for the unrepentant to die without. Christ as their Savior. Church, we need to know and people need to know that there is a cure, that there is hope, that there is purpose, that there is reason for this life that we live. And that even in amidst all the difficulties, like these people, even amidst all the difficulties that we experience, that there is hope beyond it. There is promise beyond it. First Timothy 1 verse 15. As Paul writes to a young, young elder in Timothy... He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of all, of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That Christ Jesus came to save those who are poisoned. That God came to do something. He came to provide something for us. He came to fix something that we could not fix on our own. And then I love Paul's, the way he, he ends that. Of whom I am the foremost. This is how you reach the world. Hey, dirty sinner, come do something because God has for you. No, 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 no. Hey, sinner, like me, come be where I'm at because this is where the healing is at. Come be where my Savior is because it's where, what I desperately need and guess what? It's what you desperately need too. It's not, it's, it's not, hey, get on my level. It's, hey, come be a part of what, I, what, what we're a part of. Come see what I'm seeing. Come see what Christ has done for me. I love that in Paul. One of the smartest, most educated people of his generation. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's a trustworthy, thing. I love it, it's trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Not only that, I'm the worst of them, who I'm the foremost. come see it. Come see what He can do for you. Come see what he has for you." And he's telling Timothy this, as Timothy is planning churches, Timothy, "Bring this to the people. They need to know it, they need to see it, they need to hear it. In Isaiah 45:22, he says, "Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other." There is no other. Church, we're not going to sing this morning, but I just want us to contemplate some things. In the midst of our everyday ebb and flow of battles, difficulties, struggles that we navigate, there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. There's a lot of reasons to be down. There's a lot of reasons to believe that the next battle you face will be the battle that defeats you. There's a lot of reasons to believe that. Because we're weak. We're frail. But in the midst of every battle we face, God's in the midst of it. Though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, of isolation, of hurt of discouragement, as i walk through the valley of the shadow. He is with me. His rod and his staff protect me. This is the God we serve. Can you know this first and foremost, that every battle you navigate, God's in the midst of that. And number two, understanding this, that the greatest enemy we face is the poison that we're born with as we birthed into this world. And the, that, that, the enemy that keeps us in that place is only ourselves and our own fear to be vulnerable and to acknowledge that we need help. That the saving can't be done by me. That just like the people of Israel in this moment, as we're being infected by the poison around us, we, 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 for one, we, we're not going to find the solution in running. I mean, I can just imagine the fear in this moment. the the quantity of these serpents that there had to be to begin to infect all these people. You know, and 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 I know that the first instinct would be to look around, to, to avoid, to hide, to get to high ground, to fight it off. Only to inevitably know that inevitably you will lose to it. Maybe it's you Maybe it's someone you know. Or maybe even as a Christian, there's things you're navigating. Listen, we're not going to win the battles by physically fighting or looking for the remedies around us. Christ brings the remedies to us in Himself. He says, look to me. Look to me. So I am your God and there is no other. Like He said in Isaiah, look to me. Christ came to save sinners. He came to provide the way. He came to lead us down paths of righteousness. He came To carry us. He came. He said bring your burdens. Bring all those things. He he continuously tells us come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. He says come to me. I've set a table before your enemies for you. Come to me. Look to me. But too often we continue to look for solutions around us. And remedies to fix our problems around us. Or try to outrun the enemy. Or try to outrun the fiery serpents that surround us in our day to day. Church listen you're never going to outrun them. You're never going to outrun them. But the same way that Christ Jesus crushed the head of the serpent in the garden right before his crucifixion is the same thing that the enemy that God will do on our behalf as He crushes the serpents that continue to infect us, and he will literally take away, re, the rebirth of our spirit. Take away that which calls us death eternally and provide us with life everlasting. That is the Savior that we worship here this morning. That is the God that identifies us. That is the God that provides for us. And church, I pray, as we're going to take a moment, we'll pray together this morning and then we'll be done. I pray that in the midst of everything that you navigate, everything that we navigate, everything that we navigate as a church, that we continuously keep our eyes lifted towards the provider, towards the healer, towards the leader who walks and talks with us and through us as we navigate and knowing that the cure that we know about is too valuable to keep to ourselves. Our children need to know about it. The people around us need to know about it. The people at work need to know about it. Don't waste time. And maybe you need to know about it this morning. Don't waste time. We love to celebrate people coming to know Christ as Savior. We love to to celebrate acknowledging the work that Jesus has done in the life of someone when they they can acknowledge that I've been selfish, that I have been running in rebellion away, I've been living in my own poisons, but now today I believe and I acknowledge that Christ is the only one who can save me. We love to celebrate that, so share that with us. Share that with us. So let's pray together this morning, looking not only at yourself as individuals, but considering the communal aspect of what it comes into when we begin to make vows with God, confess to God, and share share the cure that we know about for the sin and the poison that we're born with. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for the promises that you've given to us. Lord, I pray as we navigate the difficult situations and seasons of life, Lord, I pray that as we navigate the suffering that life brings and the discipline that we bring upon ourselves, Father God, I pray that as Christians this morning we continue to look up. Lord, I pray this morning that we would stop looking around our feet for the healing. God, I pray that we would stop looking around us for the cure. God, even though we know that you have given us a community of believers, Father God, we can never, we can never lose sight of who you are and what you do. Father God, I pray, I pray that you would just remind us as individuals here this morning, as Christians, Lord, encourage us to show us the cure to the poisons. God, we all have our own. Lord, we all still have serpents that circle us. God, I pray you crush the head. God, I pray you you relieve the wounds this morning. Father God, and most of all, I pray that you empower us to step confidently into the places and spaces that you would have us to go. God, you have created a way for us. Lord, and I pray that we, we would step into that way, and if we need to in the spaces where we live, Lord, help us and give us the courage and strength to make that way known that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that salvation is in you and you alone. Joy is in you and you and alone, you alone. Lord, healing is in you and you alone. Father God, I pray we let we find it in you. Lord, just continue to use us. continue to guide us and continue to direct us in all things. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus holy.